I wonder if anybody has been traveling lately after a season of not going very many places. I know a lot of people are trying to make up for lost time. At our house, if we are going, particularly on an airplane, um, I usually pack the kids' stuff. Ben pulls together his own, but I'm making sure that everybody else is ready to go before I work on my stuff. Which means we are pulling out of the driveway headed to the airport, and I'm running back inside to grab one more thing that I realize I've forgotten. And my suitcase ends up haphazardly just stuff shoved in, right? Because, oh, I probably need a book um, to read when we get there. Um, I need, I forgot my makeup bag because I left it on the counter in the bathroom, and it might be cold there, so I'm going to shove in a coat and a scarf. All works well enough. You kind of can lean on it and get the zipper closed. But you get to the counter at the airport, and the moment of truth comes because you pick up that suitcase and you place it on the scale. 52 pounds. 51.7. 53. Whatever it is, if it is overweight, they look at you and you have a decision to make, right? You can take some stuff out. Because the bag weighs more than it's supposed to weigh. You can take some stuff out, and you can either try to find some other place to shove it in or wear it or carry it. You can throw some things away. Or you can pay a fee. You can pay extra because your bag weighs too much because you've shoved too much stuff in there. You've decided you needed to take everything with you, and your bag is too heavy. You know, that works well enough a time or two. But if you travel very much and you are always overloaded with stuff that you are bringing, you're going to pay a lot of fees, and it's going to add up, and there's going to be a big cost. The same is true for our lives. You could cram 24 hours full, shoving in all the extra stuff, having a 27-point to-do list for the day. But you can't expand time. You can make things try to happen over the course of the week. You can run yourself ragged. You can uh, cut off the hours that you sleep. But if you are overloaded for too long, you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay big. Some of us live our lives kind of like that all the time. Loaded up weighted down, grabbing stuff along the way, having a hard time saying no to things, uh, even losing sight of what the right things are. You know, if you're going to pack and you pack efficiently, you know what the right things are, and you put them in first. (laughs) The same is true for our lives. I don't know about you, but after the last two years or so, things are just kind of out of whack. I've lost a routine, and certainly going into the pandemic, I was running fast, Frantic and, frankly, busy most all of the time. Then we hit March of 2020, and everything came to a screeching halt. And some of us didn't really know how to do slow very well. We weren't practiced at resting. And in fact, we didn't have as much to do, and we were utterly restless, walking around our homes, wondering, when is this going to be over? Because I have people to do and things to see and people to see and things to do. And a long list. We didn't know how to slow down a bit. 
And now, as things are back in some version of normal, we're trying to fill things back up again, right? Cram things in, because there's all kinds of people that we love that we haven't spent time with over the last few years. There's dinner parties that we haven't hosted. There's sports our kids haven't played, and there's fellowship events we haven't had as a church. And, and, and so, so quickly, we could just say, well, fill the schedule. We can. Let's do it. And then we get right back to that frantic run ragged kind of pace. For some, working from home blurred the boundaries of work and rest. I mean, that already happened through technology. The emails can come at any and every hour of the day. The screen can be on, the computer can be going, and, and you can kind of dribble work in and out of every day, and you kind of lose track of any sort of rhythm of rest. Maybe it's that you're working more. Maybe it feels like you've just sort of lost all boundaries. And maybe it's just that it's not work for a job or a career, but a bunch of busy has filled your life or filled your life again. Dallas Willard, who is a professor and a just sole leader of the church, said, Uh, He was asked, what do I need to do to become the person that I want to be? And his answer was, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You got to slow down. Hurry is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life in our day. Hurry is the greatest enemy of a good, whole, holy life today. Hurry sickness can be described by a lack of attention span, a short temper, irritability, hypersensitivity, restlessness, emotional numbness. Anybody else in here? I'm like, yeah, I feel a lot of those. It's this sense that I should be doing something else right now. It's the the thing that keeps us here in the room doing one thing while our mind is going a million miles another way and we're writing lists or thinking of other things that we need to take care of. It happens all the time. We're multitasking in and out of every day and we're not doing it very well. You can be busy and hurried even when you're not working. You may be retired and could be one of the busiest persons I know. Maybe you don't have a life packed with kid activities, but you find all kinds of things, and sometimes the wrong things, to cram into every hour of every day. We need something different. Perhaps, like me, you heard those words from Matthew 11 and thought, that is, that is true. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is the, the one our attention should land on if we are weary. If we are carrying heavy burdens, he's got the, uh, the directions, the answers, the pattern, the rhythm of a life that can help us. This passage comes up as Jesus has been traveling throughout towns, and he's, been, he's gone to all these different cities, and he's uh, done signs and wonders. He's done miracles, and he's been teaching. 
And what happens is, is a lot of the people are there for the flash. They want to see the blind man healed and able to see again. They want the person who's had an illness for their whole life to be recovered. But then when Jesus starts teaching and he says, hey, here's who God is and here's what a good life looks like, they're like, nah, no thanks. I'm not as interested in all of that. And so Jesus comes to this place where he's like, he, 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 he says, woe to you. And he names all these cities, these places that he's been. Woe to you for you heard, you saw the signs and wonders and you didn't want to do the things that the Father has asked of you. It's like a warning. And in fact, he says, uh, the ones who get it right are not the ones who think they know everything. They're not the wisest, most developed, most intelligent of the world. But in fact, God has revealed himself truth to infants, he says. And he's actually not talking about tiny little babies. He's talking about those who have the heart of a child. Children, yes. But also adults who would take a position of humbleness and say, I know I don't know everything. I need a teacher. I need a leader. Also people who know how to rest and how to play and how to find joy in the world around them instead of cramming their schedule full of more and more things to do to make themselves feel like they're achieving something. Jesus then says those words, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. We need a new way of doing life. We need a new rhythm. We need a new pattern, especially coming kind of post-pandemic. A lot of us kind of have that feeling of things are just kind of off. The ways I used to structure my seasons and my life and my events have changed, and I'm looking for a new way of patterning things. The church knows that people are, uh, that we thrive in the midst of a pattern, a rhythm, the church year has been built on this for a long time. We have weekly worship. We have periodic holidays. Holidays are holy days, days that are set apart, set apart that are to be celebrations and things that are to be holy. We have seasons of time that we do different things and emphasize different practices. We're coming up to Lent. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. Lent is a time, historically, that in the church people would, would reflect upon their lives— They would remember that they are mortal, that we are not God, and that, in fact, we probably have some habits and some practices that don't help us, and people would fast. They sometimes would just fast from food as an act of discipline, but but historically, people in the church fast from things that don't serve us well. You take a look at our lives and the things that keep us from God or that distract us or that busy us or that bring us anxiety. You fast from those things. And then in the vacuum of time and space and energy that they create, you fill that with the good things of God. Take on a new discipline, read a daily devotional, uh, start a kind of practice that does bring life, that does bring health. The church knows we were made for rhythms. There are these cycles and these structures. We have worship once every seven days. Well, why do we do that? Well, because God created the world, and and, and in creation, even, he sets things up to be on this once-every-seven-day cycle. In Genesis chapter 1, he created the Sabbath, the seventh day. And what happened was that God created the earth for six days. He made all kinds of things. Sun would come up, well, 
First, he created the sun. He separated the light from the dark. He created um, the sea and the sky. He created all sorts of animals and trees and plants and all the stuff. He does this for six days. And at the end of each day, he comes to the end of the day and he says, it is good. And then on the sixth day, he creates human beings, the sort of pinnacle last act of creation. And God says, this, it is very good. On the sixth day, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of their multitude. And on the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had done, and he rested on that seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he hallowed it. He made it holy. He set it apart. He hallowed it because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. God created for six days tons of work, creative genius, all of this effort and energy and life poured out into the world. And he comes to day seven and he stopped. Now, God was not out of energy. God was not like super tired and needed to get some extra sleep. God wanted to appreciate all that he had made. God was content. God was able to work hard for a season and then stop and find that contentment, that rest that says, things are very good. He asks us to do the same. We have the Sabbath given to us as a gift, and it's modeled in the book of Genesis. By the time Exodus comes around and the people are out in the wilderness, they receive the Ten Commandments, the law given uh, through Moses to the people. And in that... God says, uh, you'll keep the Sabbath. That's part of the commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days. You've got six days to get everything done. Do your work. Maybe it's job work. Um, work on your field. Work in your farm. Work with your herds. Um, your laundry. Your housekeeping. All the work. But the seventh day. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. And not only you, but also your son, your daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, the alien in your towns. Basically, stop working for a day. And don't just sort of shift the work to somebody else. If there are other people who are part of your household or, or, or your workplace, give them a break. They need rest, too. Sabbath means stopping, ceasing, doing nothing. It's not doing nothing, but it's ceasing from the work that we do all the rest of the week. God knew that, that people needed a break. That not only that they needed refreshment and a chance to, to sort of recalibrate, but they needed an opportunity that there was time set aside to worship to look around at the things all around them and to give God thanks, to have a spirit of contentment like God had on that seventh day after having made everything. But we also need a day where we step back and say, I don't make this world turn. It is not my work and my labor and the things that I do that keep the earth spinning on its axis, that keep the sun rising in the morning. I am not God. It's one of the things that happens when we stop from our work. 
We realize that the things that we're responsible for, our, our workplace, our jobs, our uh, employees that we're connected to, our, our household work, that if we stop and take a rest, they're still going to be there the next day. It's resting in the providence and in the provision of God. It realigns us. There's a theologian named Jefferson Bethke, and he was talking about how the Sabbath is like music at a wedding reception. Have you been to a wedding reception where there's music playing and there's somebody out there on the dance floor and they like have all the moves? They're like right in the middle and doing all the stuff. Occasionally, the person who has all the moves is not dancing to the music that's being played in the room. Like dancing to music in their own head. It's not on rhythm. It's not, in, it's not on the beat. It, 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 it may look cool, but it doesn't fit with the music that's being played. Bethke says that the Sabbath is a chance for us to stop and listen to the music, to realize that there is a rhythm and a beat, and God made it, and that our lives are going to work the best and we're going to look less silly if we participate in the rhythm that's already there. It reprioritizes, it recalibrates, it recenters us. Next week, I'm going to spend some time talking about just the tactics, like what makes for a good Sabbath? What are the ways that we can spend that time? How on earth do we possibly work towards carving out a time that we could actually stop? Because some of that, for some of us, that needs to start with like an hour or two, and here's an hour right here, right now. You're, you're an hour in. We're, we need to expand from a small, tiny section of our life that's not busy with work. Um, but for some of us, we, we do have a whole day. And thinking about how we spend it, because if we're not intentional with how we do it, you know, we'll just still kind of flit it away like it is so easy to do with our time. So we'll talk about some of the things that we can do in it next week. But I do want to encourage you this, um, to consider whether or not you are taking Sabbath. Is there any time in your life where you just hit the brakes? Barbara Brown Taylor, who, who's a pastor and author, she says, every seven days, pull off the side of the road, park the car in the garage, take a walk, take an hour for lunch. Test the premise that you are worth more than what you can produce. Do you have an hour, two, three, six, a day? But that exists in your life? Is there a place where you can stop and slow down enough that you can kind of get back in the rhythm with the way that God has made you? Do you find that you are restless or content? If you're restless, I'm going to point you towards Jesus and practice of rest as an answer for that. Sabbath is to be not just a commandment, something that we ought to do, something that we feel guilty about for not doing, but Sabbath is to be a whole gift of time where there is joy, there is delight, there is much needed rest for your body and for your mind, for life-giving community, interaction with people that you love and that you love spending time with. Some of Sabbath um, practices that are so rich are, are those done around a table with people you care about. Jesus knows that many of us are weary and heavy laden, that we're carrying big burdens And he tells us that we don't have to do it by ourselves. When he says, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
A yoke is, is a wood piece that a farm animal would have around it to um, pull, you know, a plow or a wagon or, or something that it's doing work. It's, it's a wooden, um, it'd be a wooden kind of harness-like structure that then allows the thing behind them to, to be pulled. Um, it, it harnesses the work of the animal for the service, the labor that needs to get done. And Jesus says, I too have a yoke. I too will put you to work and help you serve. But the yoke that I have is easy, and it is light. It is not toilsome, it's not burdensome, and it's not add, it is not, uh, it will not crush you under the weight of it. But he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. When I was reading about the, the yokes and kind of historical use of them, um, one of the things that is fascinating is, is that, you know, you might have one animal, one ox in a yoke pulling a cart, and it can pull its body weight. If you have two oxen pulling, they can pull three times their body weight, and sometimes even more, depending on how good the, the, the instructor is, how, how well-balanced the cart is, and all of these things. But one of the things that happens is that um, when someone is training a young ox to pull, they take a young or a weak ox, and they pair them with a strong, experienced, older ox. And that one shoulders the weight of the load. That one actually carries more of the burden. More of the weight of the yoke is on the stronger ox, the more experienced one. And the other one has a lighter burden and a lighter load. You see, Jesus is not just calling us into service in his way, but he is saying, I will lead and I will not ask you to go where I am not willing to go first. I will pull the hardest, and I will teach you how to serve. I will come along beside you, and I will shoulder some of the weight of what this life means. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My friends, the way to a good life throw aside some of the hurry sickness we experience, to, to, to drop some of the weight of the world that we carry on our shoulders, is in Jesus Christ. It is following and walking with him. And part of that includes necessarily stopping and slowing and resting and worshiping. May you find the joy of the Lord fills your heart and your lives through the experience of Sabbath. As you carve out time for, for God to do the kind of work that only God can do, you would find that you find joy in all the work that you do in all the other days of the week, and that you're better equipped to deal with the burdens that this life brings. Will you pray with me? Holy Lord, I know that there are some people in this room who are ridiculously burdened right now who are exhausted, who feel like it's just go and demand all the time, or, or maybe feel the guilt of never getting everything done that there is that they ought to do. Lord, give them rest. When we're overworked and overloaded, it seems impossible to make time and space 
sometimes we work and run until our bodies just physically make us stop. Help us not to get to that point, but instead to pay attention to the rhythm by which you have created this world, to give attention to our need to slow down, to rest and to worship one day of seven. Help us dream about what a life ordered like this could be. Help us experience the joy and the delight in experiencing Sabbath. Give us contented lives. Reorder us, restructure, and Lord, give us the joy along the way. We praise you and we thank you for helping us to do it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can't do it alone. And so at the end of each service, I want you to know there's a community of other people who are happy to do this with you. We carry each other's burdens. We encourage each other along the way. And this church is a great place to do that. If you don't have a church home and you'd like to be part of ours, we invite you to do it. But more importantly, if you're not following Christ, if you haven't said, yeah, Jesus, I want to be yoked with you, you should do that. Because there is nothing better. The grace and the love of God is profound, and it is available to each and every one of you, each and every one of us, every day. May we live in it. May we say yes to it. May we experience it again.